uh, Psalm 48. We'll, we'll get this thing started. All the kiddos get off okay? I think they did. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth. Like the heights of Zaphon is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. God is in her citadels. He has shown himself to be her fortress. When the kings joined forces, when they advanced together, they saw her and were astounded. They fled in terror. Trembling seized them there, pain like that of a woman in labor. He destroyed them like the ships of Tarshish, shattered by an east wind. We have heard, so we have seen, in the city of the Lord Almighty, in the city of our God. God makes her secure forever. Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Like your name, O God, your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Mount Zion rejoices. The villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Count her towers. Consider well her ramparts. View her citadels, that you may tell of them to the next generation. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. Father, we... um, we lift this time up to you. We've got your word open in front of us. We're going to dive in here, and we just ask that you that you come close, that um, you fill this place, that you send your spirit near. Lord, again, thank you for this time together, Lord, and please uh, let's just bless this moment. Amen. So uh, a few announcements real quick. Like, I don't know if you guys saw, but for King and Country was rescheduled. It was supposed to be tonight. What in the world? But now they're going next year. You know, 2020 was not supposed to be like this. Just, I, I was okay with the staying home for a while, but now they've canceled my vision and really can't. I mean, come on. Enough is enough already. Um, we do have Food Bank uh, next week, August 7th and 8th, so um, please uh, um, remember that. Um, again, we're doing the, the Jesus with the skin on for the Lewis family, so um, if you can contribute a little bit above your normal giving and just mark it for uh, Jesus with the skin on for them, that would be fantastic. Um, we, we Miss Barb, at, well, Miss Barb Atkins and Shannon are gone, so Miss Barb Meese, thank you so much, and, and Rick have taken care of food stuff for this week, but there is food next door that, that will not make it for the week, so please um, take that with you um, if, if you can. Um, I, you know, I, I do this, so just FYI, um, so I, I like went around to all of the elders this morning because I put this in the in the announcements and I wanted to talk with them, um, but we are talking about resuming Bible studies here, so um, please just uh, uh, keep your eyes and ears open for that, that um, hopefully by uh, at least the first week of September, um, we will have Bible studies and a plan together for all of that, um, so um, um, please keep that um, in your mind there and, and be ready. We're going to have something fun. Let's go do something fun. Now, um, we do have a couple of birthdays, Miss Sheila, and, uh, and a, Mr. Gavin's birthday is tomorrow. So can we sing happy birthday to them? Excellent. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Sheila and Gavin. Happy birthday to you. All right. See, I cheat and I take the microphone off because the only place you want me to sing is like 10 or 12 miles away. (laughs) You're welcome. All right, let's dive in. We're in Luke chapter 9 today, and uh, I I titled this message, um, 
no turning back. And, I th- you know, this is one of those passages that um, whenever there's a list in Scripture, um, there's a, just a list of things in here. Uh, in this particular case, it's a, it's a list for believers. But we'll, let's dive into our passage, and then we'll, um, we'll get right into to all of this stuff. So, we're in, uh, Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 62, and it says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead, who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him, because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciple James and John saw this, they asked the Lord, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and the disciples went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another man, Follow me. And the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So we're going to kind of zoom out to, to 20,000 feet and look at this. And we want to put ourselves in, in Luke's shoes. We just came out of uh, the end of, of chapter 7. We talked about um, Simon the Pharisee and, and the sinful woman, where Jesus really made this absolutely amazing evangelistic plea to Simon with a, a parable and, and the t- testimony of this woman and, and her wonderful worship. And I, I got to thinking about that. And if that were to happen here in, in our church, if we were to have somebody that, that came into our doors and or into our homes, someone that we, we knew had had a really troubled life, a really troubled past, they had spent a long time lost and off the path, and suddenly there they were, proclaiming Jesus as Lord and Savior. Suddenly there they were, weeping and, and crying, just wanting to do nothing other than honor God. What would our reaction be? I would hope that our reaction would be to just be filled with joy, to be reassured in our faith, to rejoice with them in that repentance and in their changed life, and to marvel in the miracle that is a changed life. Simon doesn't do that. His response is not to rejoice in her repentance. And I think that's a a powerful lesson for us, because... There should have been dancing in the streets at the salvation of that one soul. I guarantee you in heaven, at her repentance, there was angels dancing and singing, that one lost soul saved. And Jesus brought this powerful testimony, this parable of forgiveness. That woman brought her testimony and her worship. And Jesus declared right there that her sins were forgiven. And what's amazing about that, we, we didn't pull this out last time, but it was past tense what Jesus said. Your sins were forgiven. When she came to faith, that was it. It was done and over with. Her, her act of worship was just after that. It was the fruit of her faith, not the, not the works of it. And it gives us kind of a natural segue. See, if we read that dichotomy of Simon the Pharisee and the woman, we should ask the question, why did she receive Christ and not Simon. So we're going to go to, to Luke chapter 8, verses 5 through 15, and it, it kind of gives us some insight 
into the difference between folks that receive and that don't. It's the parable of the the sower and the seeds here. I think we've read this quite a bit, but it's a good reminder. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and, and choked out the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant, and he said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that those seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. Then he explains, he said, This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. So just kind of summarize that. Some hear, and Satan comes and takes the word from their hearts. Some hear and receive with joy, but do not endure, do not persevere. They drift or they fall away. Some hear, and they would receive, but they're too rooted in the world. And and notice what chokes out their faith. Worry, riches, and pleasures. Those things prevent maturity in faith. It's central to our message today. Then we get two things. One is a way to know if you are with a believer, and the other is evidence of Christ's commitment to believers. See, there's a, a thing that's kind of obvious about lamps. I don't know if you know this, but they shine light. <laughs> it's fairly obvious, but, but they do. They shine light. That's kind of their, their thing. And it's, it's pretty useful when it's dark outside. I don't know if you guys have experienced that yet or not, but lights are very useful when it's dark. See, Jesus says, welcome to the family. He says, my brother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Then if we were to to go on to the next part in Luke, there's a series of miracles that Luke talks about. He talks about the demon-possessed man at, at Gethsemane. Then we have the, the dead girl and the sick woman. And then we have the feeding of the 5,000. And that culminates in Peter's declaration, that when Peter declares that, that Jesus is the Messiah. And I'm going to go there to Luke chapter 9 and just read this real briefly, because Luke has, has drawn a very pers- purposeful line here. He says, Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, God's Messiah. Right there we draw a line because we've come out of, think about where we came out of. So we had this evangelistic testimony from this this sinful woman and contrasted that with, with Simon. And then we walked through 
All of this different stuff. We talked through these parables, the sower and the seeds. We, we talked through the lamp on a stand, Jesus and his family. And then we get right here, where it says, who do you say I am? Who are you like? Are you like Simon the Pharisee or the sinful woman? You've heard the testimony. You've heard eyewitness testimony to Jesus' power and his authority. You have heard Peter declare Jesus as the Messiah. Which is, are you on fire for Christ? Did you believe and receive? Which is, are you sure? Because here is a portrait of discipleship that not everyone is the same. So we get this kind of multifaceted look at believers. It's like Jesus has put up like five or six different mirrors that you can go up and look at and see who do I look like? And we get this every so often throughout the Gospels, that we have these gut-check moments where the writers ask us to take a moment to take stock and reflect, to put ourselves into the shoes of some folks who encounter Jesus and see where the chips fall. So we're going to back up, still in chapter 9, but just a few verses before. This is in verses 23 through 26. This is talking about discipleship. That's what we're talking about today. It says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. See, Jesus is giving us parameters, this portrait of discipleship. I'm going to contrast this just just slightly. We're going to kind of shift the track because we're going to look at the 12 because there's some things that only the 12 are called to do. There's some things that um, only they get and and some powers that only they get, but they are kind of the prototype. They are the the ones, if we want to look at discipleship, apostleship, they are the ones that, that we can look at pretty strongly. So we flip over to Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 23. And it starts off with some things here. It says, Jesus sent the twelve out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey, or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, Leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and, and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. But no, brother will betray brother to death, and the father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. 
Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now if I were to to take that out of context, there are some things that I might misapply to myself. There are some things in there we can grab and some things we can't. Should we all leave right now, go to Israel to proclaim the gospel? Is that what Jesus is saying? Should every believer leave everything, drop it, pack up and go? And are, are the only people who are saved people who do what this says? But no, those promises of that specific calling are for the twelve. But these are some things that, that cause some, some debate. Because there are some places in there where he broadens his language. There are some things that we can apply to himself. Parts about being wise. Parts about not being attached to places. Parts about speaking the gospel. Parts about being sheep among wolves. Trying to be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Being on our guard. Those things we can apply to ourselves. But some of the things we can't. We don't have those powers to heal and to cast out demons. If we were cessationists, ooh, there's our $10 word for the day. Got it out of the way. But those folks say, with the 12, that was the end. That was the end of the miracles. That once they were gone, that the healing and the casting out demons, that it's completely gone. I don't completely hold to that, but I know that they were specifically given those powers and those call, and that calling. But I don't know that I, I believe that all miracles have left the world. I, I think I've seen too much to believe that. And there's some, another caveat if we were to flip over to Matthew 28, because notice in that calling, the, the twelve were only sent out to Israel. They weren't sent out to the entire world. But then he gets broadened at, at the end of Matthew 28, when, where Jesus says, all right, we're going to give you all of it. He says, uh, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now this we can apply. And it's not a contradiction. Remember when the twelve were first sent out, it was a training mission. It was while Jesus was there, I'm going to send you out, you're going to go out and do this for a little while, and then you're going to come back. And you're going to bring those experiences that you had. And then when I'm gone, now you're on your own. But now we have the send out to all nations. We have a purpose, and that is to make disciples, to make followers, and to baptize them, and to teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. One of those key things we can look for is the whoever's. Jesus does this. He says, whoever... When he, he might be talking to this person in front of him, but then he'll broaden his language out and say, whoever. We get that good example in Luke chapter 9. Whoever wants to be my disciple. Whoever wants to save their life. Whoever loses their life for me. And it brings us right smack into colliding with our culture. See, we talk a lot in our culture about self-esteem. Instead of talking, no, my, my worth is predetermined by God. We talk about self-fulfillment. Jesus says, no, self-denial. Willing to take up their burden daily. Rebellious, self-determined, no. Obedient, even unto death. Why? We want to have an eternal mindset. There's a 
a song we used to sing at, at, at church camp. I know, I'm one of those guys. But when I, when I read this, it's the first thing that came to my mind. It's you know, just a simple song. But it's called, There's Something About That Name. It says, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus. Like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there's something about that name. It's eternal. If we flipped over to, to Matthew chapter 24, it says, Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. I want to have an eternal mindset. John MacArthur says that the supreme goal for believers is not the development of their self-confidence by the betterment of their life perspective and situation, but following Christ no matter how severe the consequences. So what's on the test? Is there a study guide? Anybody? Anyone? How do we pass the final? I'm going to go to to verse 51 where we're reading. Because I think it tells us. It says, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. That brings us to our first lesson, and that is God's purpose and plans will not be changed. The cross, the resurrection, the end times, those are all on the schedule. There will be no rain delay. See, our natural instinct, and it's nice that we saw that from the disciples too, is to protest Jesus' death. We cry out against the injustice of an innocent man killed for trumped-up charges, and we should. But we need to dig a hole in our hearts and bury this truth down inside, to grab this stone and, and set it as the cornerstone of our lives, because God has a plan of redemption for all mankind, and it will not be stopped. As part of our eternal mindset, we have to put that in there. And there are two places in eternity, with God and without God, under God's grace or under God's wrath. There's no middle. There's one side of the road or the other. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 18, it says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking for your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. 
and your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality God with something to be used to his own advantage. You know, I was reading about this, and this is absolutely true. You know, power corrupts absolute power, corrupts absolutely. Jesus is the only person that we've ever read about in, in, in any book that had all the power and never did anything wrong with it, never abused it. Think about that. If you want to talk about self-evident, proof of the unique character of God, proof of Jesus' power, proof of the truth of the gospel, it is right there. Read about all the healing, all of the teaching, all of the miracles. Jesus never once used his power for his own provision or for his own benefit. And he's the only one. Think about all the kings. Think about even King David. Think about Solomon. They all use their power to accumulate wealth and things for themselves at some point. They use it for their own benefit. Jesus never did. He could have conjured himself up a castle, all the followers, used the armies, done all of those things. He never did. That's absolutely incredible. We have never seen anyone do that. Anyone with a position of power. Even if it was just his fame. Crowds followed him. He was absolutely famous. He never used his fame for himself, for his own benefit. No sign-on contracts, no you know, per diem, nothing. Even the money he got, he didn't manage it. Judas did. All of those things were meant for the benefit of others. No one has ever even dreamed of a person like Jesus, who would do that, who would get power, get fame, and not use it for their own benefit. It just screams to the truth of the gospel. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yes, Lord. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. See, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. His purpose was headed that direction. It would not be stopped. And there will become a time where every knee will bow, that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But again, that screams about God's mercy. See, Jesus was for everyone. 
even in this, this little moment that he takes this time to, to send these guys out to Samaria, he is evangelizing these people and pouring grace out over them. A traditional Jewish route would have actually taken them on the other side of the Jordan. They would have gone on the east side through Perea and come down to Bethany. Instead, they went the other way, into Samaria, into the Samaritan territory. These folks that, that most Jews wouldn't even talk to, and instead, Jesus used them as an example to try and hold the Pharisees and Sadducees to an exa- account in the, the tale of the Good Samaritan. That's why it's so impactful. Think of whoever it is that you look down upon or, or a group that you disagree with so strongly. And Jesus saying, no, actually, they, they have it right sometimes. And Jesus intentionally set his path through this territory and sent messengers ahead to make plans for him to stay there. See, Jesus knocks at every door, regardless of your heritage, regardless of your geography, regardless of race, regardless of culture, and even regardless of your opposition to to God. Even when you oppose him, he still stands and knocks at the door and gives you opportunity. Think about Simon the Pharisee that we read about. He went to Simon's house, a man who was actively plotting to try and kill him, actively trying to gain evidence against Jesus. And Jesus still went to his home and tried desperately to change his mind. He even brought personal testimony and and parable and witness and worship to his home to try and change his mind. And don't forget that because in there in, in verse 51. They rejected Jesus not because of who he was, but because he was a Jew on his way to Jerusalem. That's important because it was just their cultural bias that was inherent. It wasn't that they knew who Jesus was as the Messiah and they rejected him out of hand. They just rejected him out of their cultural bias. And that really is a huge lesson for us right now. We were kind of laughing and joking about it this morning because there are huge divisions in our country right now where we are rejecting each other strongly out of hand based on age and race and sex and political affiliation. It's rough out there in social media land. But cancel culture is antithesis. There's another $10 word. I know. It wasn't in Spanish, though, so sorry. But it's antithesis to the Christian. What's going on right now is, is people are digging through, looking for reasons to get people fired, reasons to reject them, reject them out of hand. They want to put them into a little box and then deny them their voice, even deny them their employment, deny them their opportunity to speak or to provide for their family based on things that 10, 15, 20 years ago, things they said on social media, opinions that they think that they hold. And based on that, they want to basically remove them from culture, remove them from society, not allow them to participate in our world. That is absolutely antithesis to the Christian way. We are told to let go of people's past, to judge them by the fruit of their lives, filtered through a lens of mercy and love, and ruled by the idea that we should judge others as we would be judged. I don't know about you guys, but I've said some things that are wrong, I've broken some relationships. I've done some things that I shouldn't have. 
my mother was here, man, she could pour out a list. And I, I just ask for the same kindness that she shows me that, that I would show you to, that we don't work together through that. That we don't look for reasons to reject. That we don't look for reasons to remove your voice. Especially if you're not the correct age or sex or race. We don't look for reasons to remove your employment and opportunity. Instead, we seek opportunities to forgive. That we seek to give a voice to those who are downtrodden or voiceless. That we seek to give opportunity to everyone. However, we can't forget that as believers, we are responsible to hold each other accountable. That when we see a brother or a sister who is stumbling or who is falling, that with love, that we are to hold them accountable to help them get back on the path and that if they're held accountable, it's for a limited time and that they are welcomed back with open arms. That whenever someone strays, that we help to get them back on the path and that once they they come back, that we welcome them and that whatever it was that was in the past, that that's where it stays. It's forgotten. It's one of the amazing things about Scripture. You know, we do this to ourselves all the times, all the things of our past. We drag them back up in our own mind. We, we live them. God doesn't do that. He's wiped the slate clean. He's forgotten about them. He says, I remember your sins no more. I don't even know what you're talking about, man. I don't remember that. I don't remember that even happening. Isn't that incredible? We should just try and treat each other that way. See, it's incredible that the Samaritan bitterness, their anger, and their rejection are not a basis for God's wrath or exclusion from the kingdom. See, the disciples, it's James and John, you know, the sons of thunder there. <laughs> it's awesome. Like, let's call some fire down. woo Be like Elijah. We can set this guy. We got it. We can bring a little wrath. Right? And that's the temptation. is, oh, you rejected me. I reject you. I reject you more. I mean, wipe that dust off my sandals and call down fire. Let's do that. And Jesus says, no. Nope. Where we want to lash out and hurt, God covers our hurt in mercy. He says, no, no grace. No love. We don't do that kind of reaction. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48 says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Really? Does the IRS do that? I don't know. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? No. Therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Then Jesus gives us a a list. It's the cost of following Jesus. That's the title of this section. We get a list of people who do not embody the heart of a disciple. Now is the time where we take all of those things that we have talked about so far and we apply it to our everyday lives and we see if we are on the path or or off. It's where we look at those mirrors 
and we, uh, we see. See what we see when we, we look back. And the theme is to make sure that we have our tree right side up. Are our roots drilling down? Are they anchored to God, fed and watered by God? Are our leaves up and out, catching God's light and using that light to blossom and grow? And are we producing fruit that blesses and feeds those around us? So we get to, to verse 57. It says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And the message is that our, the roots of our trees should not be in the world. Matthew chapter 10 says, Do not suppose that I have come to, hear, to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. We have to be willing to reject earthly, worldly comforts and provision to further the kingdom. I want to change that word repent to replant. That we want to replant ourselves, root ourselves in the kingdom. And God may not call you to a life of poverty or imprisonment, but that should not be a deal breaker if he does. Whatever the marching orders are, wherever the battlefield, we need to be ready to march, to serve, and to fight. Whether it's cleaning toilets or serving meals or sleeping rough, even if it means no internet or air conditioning. It won't be my favorite, but let's go. Philippians 4 Verses 4 through 13 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. There's that thing about worry. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you last renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. God promises us nothing in this world except trouble and provision. And the lesson is, if there is something that you are clinging to that is keeping you from being willing to go, it's time to cut that thing out of your life, whatever it is. Matthew chapter 18, verses 7 through 9 says, Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. 
If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or feet and to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. He doesn't literally mean, by the way, to go around cutting off limbs and and gouging out eyes. But he is telling us to look at ourselves, to look deeply at ourselves, to see the temptations that, I don't know about you guys, but I don't need the devil to tempt me to things. I, I can do fine by my own on that. But to look at those things, to see where it is that, that we are tempted, to see the things that cause us to stumble, to see the things that we are still attached to that, that draw us away from our calling and from our purpose. To look hard at those things. One of the, the great advantages of, of going on a fast or, or breaking your daily routines, you know, like, you know, whether it's Lent or whatever it is, taking a moment to break how you normally do things, that gives you an opportunity to see the attachments that maybe you didn't think were so important. You know, taking an opportunity to, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to have social media, or I'm not going to have internet, or I'm not going to have, you know, whatever it is. For a short period of time, you know, when, when you come back, you go, oh, well, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't bad at all. I don't see what the big deal is. Okay, then that wasn't your thing. If every second of every day you're going... <laughs> You know, oh, that was pretty darned important that I, I get that out of there. That really had become kind of an idol to me, and I wasn't even really, wasn't really thinking about it. That really was a lot bigger part of my life than I thought. That's one of those things that we can do to, to break those cycles. What's amazing is we're going to beat this drum quite a bit. Notice this scripture repeats, and it emphasizes this theme. That should give us pause. I mean, we've covered all three of the Gospels, and every one of them has this and repeats this over and over again. I would say it was fairly important to the Gospel writers. I would say they thought it was pretty darned important. See, I think about Luke sitting down. Remember, he hand-wrote this, wrote it on parchment, and then countless scholars hand-copied this letter. They thought it was very important that we receive this message. It wasn't just a a quick email banged out sincerely. They hand-wrote ink and and, and parchment and, and feather. And they said, man, it's so important that down the line, down the future, that people get this message, that they can hear these words. It's so important. And that should not be lost on us. So verse 59, he said to another man, follow me. And the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. See, the implication there is that the man's father was not dead yet, and he wanted to return home to take care of the family business. And then once he had received his inheritance, once he had retired, then he could dedicate his time to God. And we can all relate to this pretty well because we have these earthly, worldly priorities, especially while we're trying to build lives and families. Ah, you know, when I retire, then I'll have some more free time. Then I can, you know, go on mission. When the, when the kids are older, when we pay off the house or the car, then we will have some time. 
See, those, those some days, they never come. Instead, years go by. We were talking about this this morning, how fast the years just, they fly by. And we, uh, we spend so much time chasing things that, that don't really matter while ignoring the people around us who are suffering. There's a, it, it, it was a poem turned into a, a story um, and, then, and then turned into a movie. Um, but it's, it's by Ray Bradbury. It's called Something Wicked, This Way Comes. Uh, if you get a chance to, to watch the movie, do it's a, it's a Halloween movie. It's PG, but um, you know the, it, it's kind of scary, but not not too bad. But in there, there's a guy, our hero, he's a guy named named Charles Holloway, and he has a young son. I think he's like ten or eleven. His name is Will. But Charles is a is an older dad. He's I think in his late forties, and, and and Will is Will is like ten. And that's Charles's. It's his biggest fear, his biggest anxiety is that he fears that he's too old to be Will's dad. He looks around at all of the other parents and sees how much younger they are than him, and he's, he's really worried about that. And there's a, the bad guy in the story. He's, he's called Mr. Dark, but he's really just a, a type for Satan. And in there, Mr. Dark, he, he tries to tempt people with what he thinks are their, their greatest fears, their, their greatest anxieties. And... The whole thing is that there's a carnival and it feeds off of those fears and those anxieties. But there's a part in there where, where Mr. Dark confronts Charles and he has this, this calendar that he holds up and he starts ripping pages off of it, aging him. Uh, 40, still time to start a family, still time to have a career. 41, still time to go fishing, still time to go and play. 42, still time that you might be able to go out and, and enjoy some of your life. 43, how long? 45. How long? How long do you have? How many more days do you have to chase this? And in there, Will realizes just to seize each day. And Charles, he returns to his faith and he decides he's going to seize each moment to be with Will. And he realizes that his life has purpose. And uh, the other one is, is fairly obvious, but it's, it's a Christmas carol. Right? When, when Scrooge gets to see how his callousness and his greed, right, as he has scrimped and saved and he's obsessed with building worldly wealth, and the whole time he had neglected the suffering of the people that were right there in front of him. And he learns that his true treasure is, is in those people. And thankfully he gets the message. So if we go into verse 61, it says, Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And as difficult as it may seem, Jesus has to come first in our lives. Loving our families, loving our children, loving our, our grandchildren, those are noble things. They're not bad things, and that's kind of what makes them the hard tempters. Because God says, me first. I think that this one kind of hits the, the ladies pretty hard because I think most of you mama bears would bust some heads if we asked you to put your kids second to anything. But Jesus is telling you to look to him first, to get your roots in good soil so that you can bear good fruit. And that's a tough pill to swallow, but it's important for building healthy families. Then we get to the last one, verse 62. It says, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. 
You can't go halfway to following Christ. It is all or nothing. The picture is, is someone who is serving, but their heart is yearning to be elsewhere. They're looking over their shoulder, constantly wishing to be back in their old life. I don't know about you guys, but I, I've had those days where I've been at work and, and working away and wanted to be anywhere else but where I was. I'm thinking about Yoda. That's, that's me when he's talking about Luke and he's going, never his mind on where he was or what he was doing. Um, yeah, that's me. Generally speaking, when I'm at work, I'm going, man, I, yeah, I would rather be pretty much anywhere else. But he's saying, no, that um, you can't go halfway. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through, through 34. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And then here's this verse. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't be serving God and constantly looking back, looking at your old life, wishing that you were back there. That isn't what a true disciple looks like. We'll continue on here in verse 25 because, again, it talks about worry. It's amazing how many times that comes up. Worry. How that can eat our lives away. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is from under the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And again, each of these are they're lenses. They're mirrors to look back at ourselves. And the question is, can we... Can we look honestly at ourselves and say that we've made a clean break with the things of the world? And if not, now is the time. See, it's, this is just a tool. And the idea is that when we are tempted by the things of the world, that the idea is that for these words, that somewhere in here, these scriptures would come bubbling up to your mind and would give you the tools to reject those temptations, to, to look Mr. Dark in the eyes and say, Lord, rebuke you. So here it is. Here's the, here's the payoff. So write this on your walls, tattoo it on your heart, and shout it at the temptations of the world. 
This is Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. You can underline this, highlight this. I guess I do mine in pencil. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. We're going to close with uh, Psalm 145. It's a psalm of praise. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. And you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for your word. Lord, we um, we got this week coming up. And Lord, I think it's going to be a challenging one. I think we've got a lot of things on our plates. I think we've got worries about school and about jobs and worries about our country, worries about our, our leaders, worries about, hey, Lord, health. Brother Walt having surgery and Lord, I just... We're just asking you to come close, God, that um, as we, we go out into this week, please help us to, to see people as you would see them. Lord, we ask that you speak loudly to our kids, that you would guide their footsteps, that you would speak loudly and shine brightly for them. Lord, we think about our, our leaders, our, our school board, and our, and our town, and our, our county, and our state, and our national government. Man, it just seems like some of them are just uh, lost. I just ask that you, uh, that you step in and lead, please. That your goodness and your mercy and your love be the governing force in our nation. Lord, help us bring a, us back together that all these divisions that we conjure up in our minds, that we just lay them down. And we would reach out to our brothers and sisters and, and just love on them. 
Lord, we ask that you, um, man, so many people that are still sick and recovering from surgery, and if you wouldn't mind just, uh, just crashing into St. Mary's Ann community and just healing a bunch of people, please. So many folks with, with cancer, and just uh, we lift them up to you. So many people that are mourning loss and, and, and struggling, Lord, and we, quite frankly, we feel powerless to help them. We're seeking your comfort and, and, and your love and your, and your guidance. Give us words and, and actions that bring healing to those around us. Lord, we, um, we just ask all of that in the loving name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So uh, please remember that